Welcome, everyone, to the How to Ski in a Podcast, episode 24. The Robbie Cano, don't you know, episode, or the Gary Sanchez, or one of our favorite Yankees right now, Matt Carpenter. We can say them as well. Uh, Tino Martinez is up there. There's a bunch of them. But anyways, I am Sean. I'm here with Enrique. We're going to break down this Cleveland series. Pretty good series, I guess. You know, Yanks went two out of three. They swept the doubleheader on Saturday and unfortunately lost the finale on Sunday. They still win two out of three, win another series, and head to a nice day off that they very much needed before playing Pittsburgh on Tuesday. Uh, We also have an interview with Marty from Rum Bunter. He talks about the Pirates and what to expect in the series, along with the history the Yankees and Pirates have had. It should be a great episode. Thank you all for listening, and we'll be right back. It is high. It is far. It is gone. Ahí va. Por el desfile. Olvídala. Se va a la calle. En la calle. Esa se va. Se va. Se fue. And we're back. First, let me break down this series before I introduce Enrique. I'll be quick. Uh, we have a lot to get into, and uh, I don't want to waste much time. Uh, Yankees were rained out. On Friday, uh, they came back on Saturday with a doubleheader, and the Yanks swept the doubleheader in the first game. Yanks were absolutely dominant. They collected 14 hits, 13 runs. They beat the Cleveland Guardians 13-4. to Garrett Cole was, was fantastic. He gave up back-to-back jacks in the second, but after that, he was absolutely solid, going six strong innings, three hits, two earned, six strikeouts. Kept his ERA at exactly 2.99, which is what he came into the game with. Looked really good. Uh, Chapman was awful. We'll get into that. Marinaccio was great, but then he eventually, you know, we found out he had dead arm and got put on the IL for J.P. Sears. Licky was good. Weber came in after, you know, getting called up. And he came in for his second game, and he was solid as well. Uh, Yanks Yanks were really strong in this game. Uh, LeMayu. Trevino had homers. Uh, Carpenter, Matt Carpenter, the guy plays few and far in between. But when he does, he always seems to shine in the moment. So he goes three for five, four RBIs, two home runs. Yes, I know, you know, the second home run was off a position player in the ninth. But, you know, got to pad your stats when you can. So especially for someone like Carpenter who doesn't get in that much, you know, he deserves it. He now has eight home runs on the year and 51 at-bats which is more than he had in 2020 and 2021 combined when he had seven home runs in 421 at-bats. So it just goes to show how much of a difference uh, he has made since he's joined the team and how he's found his swing again. The next game, Yanks come in and during the afternoon game, get another win, winning 6-1. Nestor was great. Nestor looked strong again. He, he, he's had a couple of rough outings lately. Um, not overly concerning, but you could tell he looks, he looked a little gassed out there, but Cortez came in today and, and got a solid win, six innings, three hits, one run, one earned six strikeouts and just gave up the, the sole home run. And that, that was, that was it. He lowers his ERA to 2.44. Uh, King came in for two innings. He was absolutely solid, lowering his, his ERA to 2.27. 
Wandy's at 2.15, and Clay Holmes came in for, for the last out in a, a technical save situation. He came in for the one out, and he got to save his 15th already. He lowers his ERA rate is 0.49. He, uh, he's a definite all-star, and uh, a, a lot of these players are. Going into Sunday's game, Yanks looked completely off. But Aaron Judge did not start, neither did LeMayu. And uh, the Yankees can only muster one hit in this game, and it, it was not great. McKenzie pitched absolutely phenomenal. But also Montgomery. Montgomery pitched for us, and he he pitched great. Uh, I had no issues with Montgomery at all. Um, he pitched five innings, three hits, one run. You know, I think the walks were a little too much at, at three, but he still had eight strikeouts. Sears came in after getting called up from for Marinaccio, and he went two and two-thirds, and he was solid. You know, he has a 0.59 ERA this year in his limited time. Uh, Albert Abreu came in for an out. He he did well. He's he's performed well ever since he's become a Yankee. But overall, the team just was not was not there today. Uh, Donaldson had the only hit. Um, but still, you know, that's how good the Yankees are, that even when they have only one hit, you know, and they're down 2 nothing, they were still solid enough to almost, you know, get back in this game in the top of the ninth because Aaron Hicks came up with the bases loaded, but he ended up grounding second base and ending the game. Hicks's struggles with runners and scoring position continue and uh, almost took that game. But unfortunately we didn't Yanks are now 58 and 22 as we head to the day off on independence day. Um, It was a great, it was a great series. I wish we would have swept them, but you know, guardians are no easy gimmick. You know, they're 40 and 36 they're, they're fighting to get into the playoffs themselves. You know, they'll be battling with, with the Red Sox, the Rays, and maybe even Toronto to get that final wild card spot. So, you know, they're, they're doing the best that they can um, to, to sneak in there. So, you know, I'm happy with still winning two out of three and five out of six against them this season. And uh, I'm glad to finally get a day off for this team after a very tough 17-game stretch of consecutive games. And uh, we get a nice, you know, a nice break. Yanks play Pittsburgh for two in Pittsburgh and then have a tough four-game set at Fenway Park. But first, you know, uh, I think I've talked enough. First, let's let's start off with with Aroldis Chapman. Uh, his first game back was uh, as dreadful as as you could you could say. Um, he comes in, faces three three batters, walks all three. wasn't even close. Uh, I could say that. He had no command of the fastball. He, he threw, threw at least four in the dirt. Then he tried throwing the slider because, as we've seen from his history, when he doesn't when he doesn't have command of the fastball, you could see it in his body language. He's lost, and then he just starts throwing sliders to connect. And uh, he couldn't even get the slider to work. You know, he's missing really high, you know, up in the zone. He had 19 pitches. Seven were strikes only. Um I wanted to ask you first, uh, you know, obviously it's his first game back in, you know, with the Yankees in just about a month. Is this something that we should be expecting, you know, long-term or is this just, you know, like a first game hiccup sort of thing? You got to give the guy the benefit of the doubt. Maybe this was some rust, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it was his first game back. Maybe it was rust. Maybe his timing's off. Maybe his mechanics were off. You would hope that this is not what to expect from him moving forward. You would hope, you know, that his track record speaks for itself and how good he's been in the past and overall in his career will speak for itself. And we'll see that version of a role, this Chapman moving forward. 
even if it's as a, you know, stud setup guy to Clay Holmes, you know what I'm saying? I mean, come on. You remember back in the 90s, Sean, where you had Mariano setting up John Wetland, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes having that good one-two punch in the eighth and the ninth could be what pushes you over in October, you know what I'm saying? If, if he accepts that role and rounds out to form, even if he doesn't round out to be, you know, prime a role this Chapman, if he could even be a fraction of that pitching in the eighth, brother, I like our chances in October with him and Clay in the eighth and ninth. What do you think? I, I like it too. I think right now he's just got to find his mental headspace. Like he's got to get back into that zone of being a major league closer or even put yourself and pretend you are one. Like it, it, it seemed right before he had gotten injured and, you know, the five games that he had gone in previously before the injury, he, you know, he let, he let up runs in all five appearances and then obviously had no command. He looked, he, that was the worst appearance I had ever seen from him this season um, and not just from throwing the ball. He he looked very upset with himself or just upset in general. He, his body language is terrible. He looked just very upset the whole time. Uh, every time he couldn't command the fastball, it just his body language just showed how upset he was with himself. And then, you know, he would kind of throw like a, like a tantrum to himself on the mound. And then, like, you know, he walks the third guy on, on a pitch so far outside the strike zone on, a, on an attempted slider that didn't break at all. And then, you know, Boone comes to take him out after three, you know, three walks in a row. You know, you're not going to stick with him. And, and Chapman immediately just walks off the mound well before Boone even had gotten to him. I don't like that. That's, you know, I get it. You've been hurt and, you know, it's a tough first game back, but you couldn't have been asked to, you know, been eased into a more easier opportunity than being up 10 to two at the time. And then, you know, getting an opportunity in the seventh inning to just kind of just work yourself back into it. And obviously you just didn't have it. So you just try again another time. That's all. I mean, you got to think that the reason he did it was because he's not oblivious to what people have been saying on social media, on sports talk radio, pretty much everywhere he's not oblivious to his Sean. He obviously hears it. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure he hears it on Spanish radio too. I'm not sure. Pero en, en el radio en español también dicen la misma cosa. They say the same things in Spanish. You know what I'm saying? And you're hearing that stuff and you're powerless because you can't do anything about it because you're injured. Now, having said that, you're finally not injured. You're finally off the injured list. What's going through your mind? Yeah, I'm back. You know, I'm, I'm healthy. Time to come back and show these mother bleepers that they're wrong, that I still got it. You know, he's a competitive guy. You see it in him. You know, I'm not condoning his, his temper tantrums and all that, but you've seen that he's been a fiery competitive guy. He leaves it all out there. You know, you see his facial expressions, whether he does good or bad, he leaves it all on, on the field. So, you know, he was, aching to get out there and basically prove us all wrong and basically he did the opposite he went out there and basically proved that clay holmes is the unquestioned closer and that had to piss him off like i said i'm not trying to excuse the guy but i mean you gotta think that that's the reason why he was acting the way he was because he 
at least you would think that that's what happened, that he sorely wanted to go out there and prove everybody wrong and prove to everybody that he still deserved that closer's role. I think I think that definitely has something to do with it. Um, to keep it keep it PG here, I think he's just been a head case for himself for for quite some time, well before you know Clay Holmes was even a Yankee. He he when he gets rattled by himself, you know mm-hmm. nobody else around him. He rattles himself if he can't find the strike zone. He's usually, you know, talking to himself in his own head. The dude is sweating bullets after two pitches, so you you could just tell like how how much how the motor's running in his head all the time, every single pitch that he throws, you know, and it it's definitely it, it's a tough time right now for him, but he's been through tougher, you know. Let's not forget that he he ended the Yankee season, you know, back-to-back years just so to speak in 2020 with the Brousseau home run and then the Altuve home run in 2019. You know, we don't forget those, the smiling while walking off the mound. That That's that's when we were at our worst with him. Now we've kind of just faced the fact that the time has come. You know, you, you lived out your contract. We're not disappointed with your contract. You've been absolutely phenomenal. You've been, you know, Mariano was, no one can top Mariano, and Yankee fans are always going to be, oh, well, he sucks because he's not Mariano. And that's that's everyone's, you know, thought process. They were the same way when David Robertson took over and David Robertson struggled. And that's why we got someone like Chapman, someone who could, who at the time was like the one of the biggest names and faces of baseball because he was throwing 105, no problem. And so the Yankees went out and made a move to get him. And he was great. And he was great with us. We had no problems with him when he came to Yankee. We traded him to the Cubs for Glaber Torres. And then when we got him back, Yankee fans were ecstatic. It was just the last couple of years, you know, he's starting to get older. I'm not saying he's close to retirement or anything. He's not. He's still in peak condition in his career. He's a phenomenal, you know, athlete and phenomenal lefty, you know, reliever. I just don't think uh, in this Yankee atmosphere, there's a lot of players who can't digest, you know, dealing with fans and the media and all that. And sometimes that just eats them alive more than it should have. And sometimes, you know, I... I I can never imagine because I'm not a professional athlete. But when you hear, when you see your name in the newspapers every every day about how you performed terribly, like the Yankees will be top story, I guarantee, in the newspaper tomorrow. But there will be a whole column about how terrible Chapman was because they have to highlight the terrible. That's how New York media sports is. You have to highlight the worst while also highlighting the positives. But also, don't forget this person was terrible. And so that's and then Yankees fans and the Yankee media and New York media love to eat that up and to use that for sports radio for podcasts like ours. That's why we're talking about them. You just got to get used to that. And if you can't, then you you can't you can't be disrespectful towards your teammates and or you know towards your manager who's trying to take the ball from you. I understand you're upset. I get that. I, we've all been there. We've all had bad games and like I was saying, but you got to stay classy. You got to stay respectful to. To the team you're on, to you know, being professional—that's what it's all about. Especially the Yankees in general, the most professional team I think I could ever think of. You know, I get it, it's a rough outing, and you just got to come back in this Pittsburgh series and and just try it all again. And that's what I'm saying. And he's doing all of that with that stuff in his head, like you said, feeding the demon. You know, he's not going out there. It's obvious he's not going out there with a clear head. Okay. I'm back. I'm healthy. It's time to pitch. No, he's going out there with a predetermined notion in his head of wanting to prove the doubters wrong and wanting to prove the naysayers wrong. And the fact he couldn't do it 
obviously got to him. And you got to feel for the guy. But I, I absolutely agree with you that you got to conduct yourself in a better manner. You know, it's it's it is what it is. You you just hope that he can rebound from it and you know that he can be better moving forward because like I, I stated earlier, if he can and you have that one two punch of him and Holmes, watch out. Yeah, and, and you know, obviously you have someone like, you know, Michael King who's been the kind of the eighth inning guy and also could do a seventh. But you get you get Chapman to get back to form, and he's an eighth inning guy. You can have King right behind him at seventh. You can even have a wise go when he comes back and be six, seven, eight, nine. Like you would have a beautiful four man, you know, bullpen for something like, you know, a playoff series. Like that's when you have you need to have the bullpen arms. You need those four guys to be absolutely right when it comes to you know uh, to comes to the playoffs, because once that happens, you know bullpen baseball and that that's the most important thing one of the most important things when it comes to playoff baseball so you know you need all those guys to be right so i hope chapman can get it together and and you know prove to be the guy we know him to be or you know if he can't get his mind right or if he can't get right you know between now and the, the trade deadline you might be hearing his name out there a little bit so you know who knows me and you are always exactly in sync, bro. I was about to say the same exact thing, brother. <laughs> there's a reason me and you do this podcast together. We're, we're there. We're there. I was literally about to say the same thing. He's on an expiring deal. You could see him moved. All I would ask is if that does wind up being the case and Brian Cashman does find a trade partner, trade him to the National League. Let's, let's talk about, you know, another... Uh, controversial topic, let's just say in in Yankee Land, uh, Joey Gallo. You know we're 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 sitting here in uh, the first week of July. It's um it's a tough time right now for any Joey Gallo fan or Joey Gallo in general. Uh, he's uh, let's just be real here. It's it's been an awful run since he's come to New York. Um, you know we thought when he hit 160 in in the 58 games. That that was like a fluke, and oh, he'll be much better than that. He just was getting used to being a Yankee, and oh, don't worry, it, it'll it'll be fine. He'll bounce back. He hasn't bounced back, guys. Um, he's played in just about the same amount of games. He's played in 63 games, five more than he did in 2021 as a Yankee. He's batting 165. Um, you know he has four less home runs than when he than when he did when he came to the Yankees in 2021. Uh, he, he his on base percentage has dropped significantly even from from last from even when he was a Yankee last year. It's it's just been an awful run as a Yankee and it seems like his time is coming to an end. Uh, Enrique, I'll, I'll ask you this to start it off. Uh, do you see Gallo um, traded by the deadline? It's it's very possible. It's very possible, I'll tell you. Um, I mean, yeah, he's been god-awful since joining the Yankees. And I was one of those guys that was ecstatic when the trade happened because of how good he had been in his career, you know, with Texas, you know. But you always saw the power and how we, he was able to get a hold of one. I mean, for goodness sakes, the year that he that we traded for him, he participated in the home run derby in the All-Star game. Let's not forget, folks. You know, you don't get invited to the home run derby unless you got serious pop. You know what I'm saying? So you always knew that this kid, even when the Rangers first called him up, you knew he had promise. 
you knew he was a high strikeout guy, but you knew that if he got a hold of one, he could hit it a, a country mile, like they say. So thinking in those terms and thinking about that kind of power in Yankee Stadium with that short porch and right, you just, you know, you couldn't help but wonder, man, what is this kid going to do in pinstripes? And for some reason, it's just never come to fruition. Maybe a change of scenery would do wonders for him. Something's wrong. You know what I'm saying? When that's the case and you've fallen out of favor, you're not getting playing time anymore. You're getting guys like Marvin Gonzalez playing over you, Miguel and Duhar playing over you like, like we saw in the doubleheader. What's the point in keeping him on the roster? Well, I, I have a, I have a couple things to say to that one. <laughs> so, Gallo, Gallo is one of my favorites. Uh, I know a lot of Yankee fans won't like that, but he has been. Um, I I loved when we got him. I knew obviously that this could potentially happen. Um, obviously, I didn't think he was going to hit 160 or 162 since he's been a Yankee, but. I knew that he was going to be a 200, 190 type hitter, and you know, but he has incredible fielding, and that's what you really look at. You know, he was a let's not forget he was an All Star, he was in the Home Run Derby, and he won the Gold Glove last year, and so those are three top things that we desperately needed in in an outfield at the time. We needed someone who was a Gold Glove talent in some respect, and that's why the Yankees went out and and we needed a lefty bat, so that's why the Yankees went out and got. Gallo and Rizzo at the same time. Rizzo was the surprise. Gallo was kind of expected. But, you know, that's why you get that to even out the lineup. And, yeah, it, didn't, it hasn't worked out. You know, some could say it, it was, you know, New York, and sometimes you just can't get used to New York. But it's also, I think it's just, it's that, and it's also the fact when you're in New York, every at-bat, like I mentioned before, is paid, you know, we pay much more attention to while in Texas, I've I've lived there. I've been to games. You know, I've seen him go 0 for 5 or 5 strikeouts, and no one boos him once. No one bats an eye. Everyone just waits. Everyone just waits for the 500-foot home run that he'll eventually hit, which he'll do in the next game somehow. And that's what would always happen. Every every four innings, they would play a replay of his, you know, of all his top 10 home runs. Like, he was loved in Texas. So when you go from being the fan favorite in Texas and – you know, everyone's favorite player and, you know, hitting because you hit the 500-foot home runs and you're hitting the home runs where no one else can do it in baseball, especially as a lefty. To coming to New York and just being a, a a hopeful contributor and it hasn't worked out, especially for a fan favorite team, your favorite team, like as a kid, like so many others, sometimes it doesn't work out. And, you know, sometimes you just need a new change of scenery. I completely agree with you. Um, and by the way, uh, just to clear things up, I'm not a Joey Gallo hater. I actually like the guy too. And like I said, I was super happy. I, I used the word. I was ecstatic. I jumped up for joy when the trade was made. And then when, when the trade for Rizzo happened subsequently right after, I, I was in euphoria, bro. I'm like, what is going on? Like the Yankees, you know, were right-handed heavy at the time and they just traded for two really good left-handed bats and two really good defenders at that because both of them are gold glovers Rizzo and Gallo so you know it, it, it saddens me brother it saddens me what's happened with Joey like I'm not enjoying saying anything that I've said and 
I'm not one of these Yankee fans that bashes him on Twitter and says he sucks, that he's a bum. I know how good the guy can be. Look what happened to Sonny when he went to, to Cincinnati. Became an all-star. Who's to say that's not going to happen with Gallo the minute he gets traded out of the pinstripes? You know what I'm saying? So it's it sucks, but it is what it is. About Andujar, it's funny that, that you mentioned him getting traded because I have a feeling that we're going to be asking exactly this question to our upcoming guest, Marty from Rum Bunter, um, who covers the Pittsburgh Pirates, because how many times, even in, a, in past episodes, have we talked about him getting traded to a team like Pittsburgh or, or one of these teams that's, that's rebuilding? You know what I'm saying? I could totally see a move like that where Miguel gets traded to a place like that where they're not in, in contention for, for a title. They're looking to rebuild and there's opportunity to start. I could totally see something like that happening for him. And like we, like we've mentioned in the past, I believe in the episode where, where we had John Brophy on with us and we talked exactly this, you and him actually had this discussion, Sean. I remember you and John specifically talked Miguel and Duhar and what's best for him. And both of you agreed that the Yankees should do what's right by him and trade him. And he doesn't have to be stuck behind a plethora of outfielders or third basemen where they're blockading his way to the majors, which is the case with the Yankees. You can make the argument, yeah, that he should be starting over Gallo, but apparently the Yankees don't think he should. You know what I'm saying? For whatever reason, they prefer Joey Gallo. They prefer Marwin Gonzalez. They prefer guys like that. They prefer Aaron Hicks over Miguel Andujar. So where are you ever going to see this kid have a clear path to starting or at least having consistent playing time in the major league with the Yankees? You're not. What's the point of keeping this kid in, in this proverbial limbo where he's not a major leaguer, but he's not exactly a minor leaguer either because he never stays completely in the minor leagues either, Sean. You know what I'm saying? He's there, but then he gets recalled. Then he gets sent down. Then he gets recalled again. Like he's literally in limbo. Like that's not fair to him, bro. I feel like he's too talented to, to be in that situation. What do you think? I definitely think it's unfair to him, um, but it's he is a major leaguer. I think in, in talent wise, I think he just he's just on the wrong team. It's it's kind of like a situation where, you know, he he would be probably you know starting if not on a major league roster for twenty eight out of the thirty teams. It just so happens that the one team that he's on, he can't you know he can't find a spot. So I get it. Um, I get why he's not up here too, was because you know the Yankees built this whole team to change all the all the negatives that happened last year with the base running to to the defense, all the little technical stuff that the analytic department can't you know put together. Like Eric Bowen had said on our podcast, you know sometimes you know analytics can get can only get you so far. But sometimes, you know, the, the, the small things in baseball is what wins you championships. And we, we were making outs and creating extra extra outs for other teams. And, and Duhar kind of fits that bill where he is not a good defender. He's not the worst. I'm not saying he's, you know, like the worst defender to ever, you know, touch a baseball. But he's not 
he wasn't great at playing third base when when before Geo had emerged. Uh, he he's a he looks like from what I've seen a pretty decent left fielder. He can make fly ball catches and stuff like that. He doesn't really have an arm for an outfielder, but he could still uh, you know make the plays if he needs to. But that's the reason why Gallo stays up is because Gallo has a top five defense, and like I said before, he's a he's a Gold Glove winner, and that's the reason why he plays and. The Yankees built their whole team this offseason based on defense. Look, you know, the last second acquisition to Trevino, you know, uh, Trevino has been absolutely dominant. He's one of the best um, defensive catchers we've got. Obviously, keeping Higashioka, another great defensive catcher. You go out to get Donaldson, which you think like, oh, but Gio was a way better defensive, you know, third baseman. But statistically, he wasn't. You know, Gio had really struggled last year. And Donaldson was actually pretty good, even though with the shoulder issue. And DJ was really good at their base as well. You get that. IKF won a gold glove at their base, but also his main position is at short. So you have stuff like that. You know, you have, you built the team on defense. And so that, that's why, you know, we're, we're sitting at top of major leagues in record and having the best record in baseball because of our defense obviously the hitting and the pitching has been phenomenal too but when you're when you're connecting on all four you know aspects of baseball at the highest of levels who can really beat you at that point and and with how bad Gallo has been it hasn't affected the team one bit you know the, the, they're still the best team in baseball and Gallo now bats nine he said that to us when we interviewed him remember he said yeah the same exactly thing. It, he, you know, he bats ninth for us. You know, we've gotten used to the role that he's batting ninth. I, I, to be honest with you, I find him better batting ninth because he's still a threat. And I know Sweeney had said it, Bowen had said it as well, that him batting ninth is kind of it's good for him, but it's it, he's not an easy out either. Like, yeah, he strikes out a lot. He's batting one sixty or whatever, but you could clearly tell pitchers are still pitching around him. Gallo, even though yes, he strikes out a lot and gets out all the time, you know, he still raises the pitch count. You know, I, I very rarely do you see him striking out on three straight pitches. You usually see him working the count, but for some reason he just can't put, you know, bat on ball, and that's his biggest struggle. It's just it's obviously he's even said it himself, he's a complete three tool player. He's he agrees to it, he knows he is. But it just hasn't worked out here and I think, you know, both of them and Duhar and Gallo need to be moved, you know, to get the best opportunity for them elsewhere. And I think for what the Yankees need to do quickly is just to get a left fielder or a lefty bat, not Brett Gardner. Please, everyone, stop saying it. I know you're thinking about it right now. A lefty bat with, you know, that's also that could play left field and or center field and, you know, contribute to this team to balance out the lineup more, but also play great defensively and get on base. That's the three things that you need. Obviously, it's not the easiest. It's pretty hard to come by. You know, I know I'm asking for a lot, but, you know, that's that's the only way I could see the Yankees moving on from Joey Gallo is if you could find someone with that defensive output and a little bit of a better offensive input. But, you know, other than that, let's let's get right into um, let's get right into the series we have coming up uh, with with, you know, the Pittsburgh Pirates. It's a quick two game set you know, on the road. Uh, I love when the Yankees play the Pirates, not for the fact because it's the Pirates and, you know, people love to say that the Pirates are the easiest team to beat in baseball and all that. But the fact of how amazing and how beautiful that stadium is, um, it is the most underrated and underappreciated stadium, I could say, in probably all major sports. 
Uh, it is a beautiful sight to see. I recommend anyone that hasn't been there to go there. Um, you know, let's get right into that. And uh, first, I'm gonna I'm gonna welcome on Marty from Rum Bunter. It's a Pittsburgh Pirates blog. You know, it's the best one, period, according to according to Marty. So I, I'll I'll take his word for it. But it's part of the fan side at Sports Network. Uh, it's a really great blog. You guys should really uh, look into it and 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 you know take a listen, take a read. They've got obviously some big names now that are coming up that are uh, huge and gonna be huge for baseball, maybe even the face of baseball with O'Neill Cruz. But first, let me let me welcome him in, uh, Marty. How you doing? Good. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, guys. I'm really excited to be here today and talk some baseball. Yeah, us thank too. you for we... coming on with us, Marty. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we 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 love talking baseball, especially like you said off air, interleague stuff. That's you know that's uh, that's always fun for us. You know, talking to fans that we don't usually get the the chance to talk to. We you know we only see them a couple times. You know, uh, every I say every decade, maybe we get a couple chances to play you guys. So. Um, I know that that'll change starting next year where teams will play every team starting in 2023. So that'll be fun. Maybe, you know, we'll get to see you every year. Um, but let's let's get right into it. Um, Enrique, I'll let you start it off with some questions and then just go from there. Let's get right into the nitty gritty of it, man, and go with what's your impression of this kid, this stud, O'Neill Cruz? I'm yeah, it's it's been an exciting time. You know, it's you can tell pirate fans in general are excited. I was listening this morning. I was running some errands, listening to sports talk radio, and they were even talking about how the ratings for their pre and post game shows have been up higher. The TV ratings for the pirates have been up higher since O'Neill Cruz has been recalled. And that's something pirate fans really need. It was something to get excited about. The kid is an absolute athletic freak. Um, I was talking to friends of mine who are Philly fans the other day and told them, I have honestly have not been this excited about a pirates prospect since Andrew McCutcheon. Uh, Cruz is a kid who, Pirate fans have watched him come through the farm system the last few years. You saw all the tools. You saw all the talent. And since he's been called up, yeah, he's looked like a rookie at times. He's struck out some. He's only hitting 217 thus far. But, man, when he hits the ball, he's killing it. His average exit velocity is 92 miles an hour. His hard hit rate's over 40%. He's barreling the ball 13% of the time. He's already got, I think, seven extra base hits. And even in the field, he his first game up this year – has the hardest thrown ball of any infielder. Um, and the biggest knock on him in the minors was his defense. But since he's been up, he's only made one error. And, you know, as you guys know, as big baseball guys, errors don't always tell the full story. If you're an athletic freak like him, you might have more errors because you get to a lot of balls most shortstops don't get to. And he's made a lot of plays that you're not going to see very many shortstops make because of the ground that was covered, his arm strength, um, his sprint speed. He's already in the 99th percentile of baseball. Uh, Michael McHenry, who used to catch for the Pirates, good friend of mine, good friend of Rum Bunters, who now does pre and post game coverage for them on TV, compared O'Neill Cruz to Giannis playing baseball. And I'm like, you know what? That's that's pretty accurate. If you look at their body types and their builds and athletic ability, I can see it. So, yeah, it's been a big shot in the arm for the Pirates, for their fans. Um, you know, it's always good when you see these younger guys coming up and all right, man, there's that light at the end of the tunnel. We can starting to see this court come together now. And even just seeing him on MLB network on ESPN, this sort of thing, it, it's something the pirates haven't had in a long time. And that's always a big boost again, just to the excitement to the morale of the fan base. So yeah, since Cruz has been up, it's, it's been exciting. And he's very much very quickly become one of those players 
you know, like the other night I was doing dishes, had the game on in the background. And when he was batting, I dropped what I was doing, went and watched it. Like he's become one of those players already. And that's something the Pirates haven't had since, honestly, Andrew McCutcheon. And I mean, one other thing with that too, real quick, sorry, is, is his offensive potential is sky high. And if you get that kind of offense from a shortstop, that just adds to his overall value he's going to bring you. You know, you expect to have your corner outfielders, your first baseman, your third baseman, slugging 30, 35 home runs a year with 30 doubles. You know, you don't expect that out of shortstop. If you can get that from your shortstop while still getting at least average defense, man, that's one of the most valuable shortstops in all of baseball all of a sudden. Let me ask you about Brian Reynolds. I know we talked about him off air. Uh, what do you think uh, are his chances that he remains a pirate? Yeah, I, I personally don't think Reynolds is traded. I remember last year at the trade deadline, Seattle asked about Reynolds and Charrington's starting point was Julio Rodriguez. Uh, Miami asked about him. And for Reynolds, I know he asked for at least Max Meyer and um, – Oh, J.J. Blade, And again, Miami's like, no, we're not doing this. I, I can't, to me, the biggest reason I don't see why they trade him is twofold. One, the void arbitration earlier this year, they signed him to a two-year deal through next year. So you already have everything solidified next year, contract-wise, arbitration, all of that. And two, he's under team control through 2025. And yes, the Pirates, if you watch them regularly this year, they don't seem like they're that close to contending. but they've started to graduate prospects are going to graduate a lot more prospects next year. It's not out of the realm of possibility. You could be looking at like, you know, fringe wildcard team next year, legitimate wildcard slash potential division team in 2024. And when you have Reynolds, who's one of the best center fielders in the national league, trading that guy right when your window's starting to open, and you have three years of team control. Just, it doesn't make any sense. And not only does it lessen your team talent wise, I would think as well that would be a pretty big shot to that clubhouse morale you know if you're like he brian hayes for example who just signed a long-term extension you've got to be thinking like oh man are we still like are we just starting a rebuild again are we nowhere near to ending this um if you're some of these other prospects who've just come up who are thinking all right hey we're here now we're starting to arrive it's time to win games all of a sudden you're thinking what what does the front office not trust us do they not think we can win these games yet what is it so I personally don't think he's going to be traded. If he is traded, I would expect some team to just put together some ridiculous package for him, you know, two, three top 100 type prospects. And even then, you know, if you're Ben Charrington, like I said, I still think that the trade, you just, I can't see it happening. I really, really don't. The potential tremendous package you would, you guys would get an insane package deal for someone like him. Would you rather him get traded so that you can continue to build towards your future and have tons of players waiting, you know, in the wings in a couple years? Or do you think Brian Reynolds is part of the future and you'd rather just keep him, like you said, for the for the morale of the team? If you look at the Pirates right now, you look at Brian Reynolds, you look at O'Neill Cruz, you look at Key Brian Hayes. That's a really good core three to build around. Even some other spots on the on the on the roster, Ronzi Contreras, who's one of the guys the Pirates got in the Jameson Tyone trade, got roughed up last night. But going into last night through his first 10 MLB starts had a 250 ERA. He looks every bit of the top 100 prospect he was. In the bullpen, you have David Bednar, who's become one of the best closers in the National League, who's under team control for six years. You have Jack Sawinski in right field, who leads all major league rookies in home runs. Like there is a lot of pieces starting to come together 
with Reynolds being one of the biggest, if not the biggest piece there. So again, when you're, you're starting to close in on that window of competition, you're starting to graduate prospects and you're seeing prospects be successful in the major league level. You reach a point where I think you don't, it's not to say the pirates won't be sellers at the trade deadline. You know, you look at a guy like Jose Quintana, for example, who's going to be a free agent end of the year, having one of the best seasons of his career. Guys like that are going to be traded to Ben Gamble's in a similar boat. But a guy like Reynolds, who you really can build around, it can be your centerpiece of your offense for at least three more seasons. That's not a guy you look to trade. That's not a guy fans want to see traded no matter the return. Because I can promise you they could trade Reynolds and everybody in baseball circles could call it the biggest overpay in the history of baseball, could say the other team made the worst trade in baseball history. And Pirate fans, understandably and justifiably so, would still be pretty ticked off. Brian Reynolds is one of those guys, you know, that everybody basically wants. Like the the top two guys that I always hear Yankee fans want is either Soto or Reynolds. Though that's the top two. No, it would it would never happen. And I know Yankees Twitter loves to jump on because no one likes Aaron Hicks. And the first thing you think of is who's the best center fielder in baseball. And you know Brian Reynolds is arguably up there, if not the best. So. You know, everyone goes, oh, well, we're the Yankees, so we can just go get Brian Reynolds. So, oh, yeah, trade the farm. Who cares? And, you know, Brian Reynolds is great, and he's going to he's gonna get, if he were ever to be traded, I think he would get within, you know, four four top 10, top 15 prospects in a trade. You know, it would be something similar to something that we saw with Matt Olson when he got traded to Atlanta. It would be something like that, if, if not, you know, bigger because of how – slim center field is for for finding you know top guys like that so i don't think he's going anywhere i don't think anyone really has the market to trade for him uh right now so i don't see him going anywhere i just don't i i definitely don't see the yankees um pulling that trade off unless reynolds really regresses within the next like year and then maybe you could work another deal out with another team but i just don't see the yankees pulling that off i mean it would cost you Jason Dominguez guaranteed and and watch out that the Pirates wouldn't ask for Dominguez and Volpe in the same trade and there's oh, yeah. no way there's no way that that Brian Cashman would do that that would be a Dominguez Sweeney Peraza you know Cabrera type swing if not you know bigger Waldachuk Wesneski a bunch of those guys added to that so it would just never happen I'm a Yankee fan, but at the end of the day, I'm a baseball fan, and I do watch a little bit of Pittsburgh Pirates baseball. Not a lot, I'll admit it, but a little bit, you know what I'm saying? What What do you think are going to be the keys for, for a club as young as you guys against a veteran team like the Yankees in this two-game set? What, do, what are you thinking? I think the key, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the key for any team facing the Yankees is you've got to be able to pitch. Um, I know the Yankee lineup has struggled at times this year, but ultimately you look at those names, those names scare you. I mean, you look at Joey Gallo. I know he's had a really rough season, but all it takes is you miss one pitch to Gallo and he hits a 500 feet, you know, and pitching wise, I swear on Twitter, like I'm I'm rumbling his Twitter account. I follow every team's official Twitter. I try to follow two or three beat writers from each team just to be in the know of what's going on. And it seems like every night it's a different reliever in the Yankee bullpen posting some sort of record for consecutive scoreless outings, strike out something. So it's, it's not just that their lineup, even when struggling scares you, it's they're good pitching staff. So I will say with the pirates, I think one thing that could help them is um, the pirate 
starting staff since May 1st actually has been pretty okay. It's been more of their bullpen. That's just kind of really let them down. But yeah, I think that's the key is you got to pitch well, because like I said, that the pitching staff that you know, isn't going to give you a lot of opportunities and it's a lineup that even when they're struggling still could burn you at any point. You mentioned, uh, Yankee relievers. <laughs> I think, you know, where I'm going with this one, but, uh, you know, I, I gotta ask you, you know, cause it's worked out well for us. I don't know about you guys, but what's it like seeing, um, Clay Holmes in pinch tries, but also how are you feeling with that whole trade and situation? It may sound weird. I feel very vindicated because for years I was one of those people who always said Clay Holmes has absolutely terrific stuff. The guy was a second round pick out of high school and got a huge signing bonus for a reason. And you would always see flashes of it with the pirates. There was, I think it was in 2019. Yeah. Cause 2020, he literally threw like three pitches, got hurt, missed the rest of the year. In 2019, there was like a 20 outing stretch where he allowed like three runs. His K's per nine was like 11 and a half. And he looked like he was finally putting it together because he got hurt in the first game of 2020. And obviously that season was a mess anyhow. And then was very inconsistent last year. But I always said he's got, a, I mean, I didn't know he's going to go on to become the most dominant reliever in baseball. But I always said he's got great stuff. They need to learn to harness it. They need to learn what they're doing with him. And they just always, it was similar to how they were with Tyler Glass now. They always nitpick too much. I felt like they didn't do enough of letting him try and just go out and work through things, throw his pitches, see what was going to work for him. So, like I said, I, I do feel a bit vindicated to an extent, but I'm also very happy for him. By all accounts, he was a great guy when he was in Pittsburgh. Um, I am happy to see him put it together. You know, the, obviously it's a trade that has not worked out for the pirates at all, but you know, you're, you're going to have those. And it's, it's also one where I, people criticize Ben Charrington for it. I understand it. But at the same time, when you look at what Holmes did as a pirate, his stuff aside, the results weren't there. So honestly, I remember when the trade happened, the pirate fans were just excited that he got anything all for clay Holmes because how much he had struggled. But yeah, no, I feel good for the guy. And it's also always nice to see when you're someone who you spent two or three years pounding the table screaming, I'm telling you, this guy's good. He's better than his results. The stuff are there. Finally put it all together. It's funny that you say that. It's because when when the Yankees made that trade, even Yankee fans over here were like, oh, my God, I can't believe we traded Hoy Park. This is unbelievable. Who is this Clay Holmes guy? He's got a five-plus ERA. And then for it to turn around the way it has since he's, ever since he's become a Yankee, you know, as Pirate fans, we're used to it. It goes it goes all the way back to the days of Jose Batista at this point where, you know, someone goes elsewhere after, you know, barely being a major league quality player in Pittsburgh and turning into an all-star. We might have found our, our our closer for who knows the next, like, decade or something, Sean. So it's it's awesome to see. Um, Marty, what do you think uh, staying on this, on this trade uh, discussion – What's been your most memorable, just let's take a trip down memory lane here. What's been your most memorable trade between the Yankees and Pirates? There's been a few of them, you know what I'm saying? Actually, I'll give you three because there's been, like you said, there's been so many in the last like 15 years or so. It's crazy. Um, I will start. It was a 2007 trade deadline. I was at PNC Park. It's second or third inning. And all of a sudden you see the Pirates dugout waved the umpires. The umpires come out and call time. 
and they point out the right field, and Xavier Nady comes trotting out of right field into the dugout because he had just been traded to the Yankees. Um, so that's the only time I've ever been at a game where a player was pulled off the field mid-game because they had just, just been traded. So it's memorable for that. Uh, you mentioned Cervelli. That's definitely up there. Francisco Cervelli was one of the most popular Pirate players ever. It was a combination. Thing. He was a terrific catcher for us. He was here in 2015 when we won 98 games. And uh, this is obviously a conversation for a different day. Hill, I will die on is that the 2015 Pirates were the best team in baseball. Um, it just, he, he connected with the city. Uh, when it, his walk-up song was That's Amore, the whole stadium would sing it when he was coming to the plate. The team was good. It was just great. And I would be remiss as a Pirates fan if I did not mention the A.J. Burnett trade because if you the run the Pirates went on from 2013 through 2015 when they went to the postseason three years in a row, a lot of people identify that A.J. Burnett trade as one of the most important moves that was made because when Burnett showed up, he called the first day of spring training, gets the whole clubhouse, and goes, listen, you guys have lost for many years in a row. We're not doing this anymore. He goes, I'm not a loser. I'm not playing for a loser. We're turning our entire attitude around right now, and that's what happened. And A.J. went on. It's crazy because, you know, you have McCutcheon, Clemente, Willie Starge, all these guys. I would argue A.J. Burnett's probably one of the five most popular players in franchise history. To this day, he is still beloved in the city. And it was not just the way he pitched on the field because he had three tremendous seasons in Pittsburgh. Um, his final start in 2015, which is the last regular season game of the year, and he'd already announced he retired at the end of the year. It was just it was a wild scene at PNC park. And it was again, not just what he did on the field, but everything he meant to the franchise in the clubhouse was important. And in the, not from a non-trade standpoint, uh, Russell Martin is another big one, you know, former Yankee came here as a free agent, came the same time as Burnett and had that same attitude of, no, we're not going to lose. We're turning this around. And, you know, one of the most, memorable moments in baseball history at this point is the Cueto game. And Russell Martin was the one who hit the home run after Cueto dropped the ball. So, you know, Martin did a lot of great things for the pirates also. So it's, it is kind of crazy, you know, in the last 15 years or so, the amount of just trades between the two teams, players who left the Yankees came to the pirates and free agency, things of that nature. So, but yeah, there's been a lot of memorable ones for pirate fans without a doubt. I feel like though, anytime the Yankees and, and pirates make a trade, it always, it always stands out for someone like, you know, you, you, Marty, you mentioning, you know, Burnett and Russell Martin, like I was thinking of those guys immediately, but I just remember how much Burnett turned it around and we don't see it on an everyday basis. We don't see every start. We don't see the atmosphere and the feeling and the, of change going on in the locker room like you guys and fans do. So, you know, you telling me that story of, of him at first day of spring training, I never knew that. But I always knew that Burnett turned his whole career around, at, you know, by then. And I knew that in those, you know, he plays three of the four years, the three of the last four years with Pittsburgh, you know, that how much he was loved and, and appreciated by Pittsburgh. I had no idea he had become, you know, like you say, arguably a top five favorite all time. So that I, that's like a warm feeling in my heart because once Burnett started to struggle in like mid 2010. He was done for, and nobody liked him. And Yankee fans were begging to get him off the team. And to see that he turned his whole career around and to turn the team around, to be playoff uh, teams for three years in a row, that's that's always great to see. Every time the Yankees and Pirates make a trade, there's always some button, someone 
that excels in that trade that ends up being something great for that particular team that they end up going to you know anytime even even when we trade you know obviously again clay holmes clay holmes is now like everyone's favorite yankee right now so like i get that you know I, we never made the trade with you guys but you know you guys had garrett cole we have garrett cole now now garrett cole's the highest paid pitcher in baseball so that kind of leads me to asking you are you happy to see him where he's at now or does it hurt you to see that he's not with you guys anymore you know he's a yankee you know he went to houston first obviously but you know like how is that feeling for you to see someone that you guys you know trained grew into a man to now you know he's excelling at i guess one of the you know the best team in baseball right now with us and the yankees it's a little bit of mixed feelings you know on one hand it's frustrating because when garrett cole was in pittsburgh you could always see the talent there and they could never he never fully reached his full potential i felt excuse me i mean 2015 he finished i think second in cy young voting that was the year jake arietta just like went bonkers and won it but if i remember correctly cole finished year second or third he was a finalist had a tremendous season for the pirates and then 2016 he had some injuries and 2017 never really looked fully healthy before he was traded so i do wonder if that injury doesn't happen in 16 i think it was forum issue if i remember correctly things would have been a little bit different but you know, when he was in Pittsburgh, there was a large subset of Pirate fans. I never understood this, who would sit there and tell, oh, Garrett Cole's not a real ace. He's not the anchor of the rotation, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, you're nuts. I said, you're nuts. And now to see him go and really quiet those people's kind of cool. But no, I mean, Cole, it was, he was one of those guys, one of the best regular season games I've ever been at was his debut in 2013. It was a Tuesday night. The ballpark was absolutely packed. Um, he pitched really well. The Pirates were, that was the first year of their playoff stretch. So they were a good team then, you know, it was a cool moment. So it is cool to see him continue to pitch well for the Yankees. He's always one of my favorite players, probably always will be, you know, and, and when I was born, I was born two months before Sid Bream slide 92. So in my lifetime, the Pirates have made the playoffs essentially three times, not including when I was you know, two months old. So a lot of those guys that were on those teams are always going to have a special place in my heart because they, my generation of pirate fan learned from them what it's like to be in a pennant race, learned how fun and stressful those summer months can be when you're scoreboard watching and you're having these series against the Cardinals and against the Brewers where you're going in tied first in the division. And we learn what it's like to go through a playoff series and all of this with that group. So, you know, that group's always going to have a very special place in front of all pirate fans, but I feel like especially my generation because that was the first group we saw do that. And, you know, to see a guy like Cole, as frustrating as it can be on one hand, to see him leave and reach his potential, you feel good for him. He's a guy you're always going to root for. He left here with no ill terms whatsoever, never had anything poor to say about the organization. And some of the things that happened with him, between him and the pirates, he definitely could have had some bad things to say, and he didn't. So, you know, I think that's always a, a good representation of someone as a person, too, of like, you know, like, yeah, things weren't always great between us, but that that doesn't need aired out in the public. That's the kind of stuff that stays behind closed doors. So, you know, I always appreciate that. And, yeah, I, I am happy to see him doing well. And it's cool, too. He doesn't lie about the fact he grew up a Yankees fan. So anytime a guy can go play for the team they liked as a kid and not just play for them, but have the success he's had with them, it, it's hard not to not to feel good about that, not to root for that. Let me ask you marty about his his buddy on on our team who was supposedly like his best friend while they were on the pirates together jameson tyone what have you what are your thoughts on him and you know the success he's had are you happy to see the success he's had in pinstripes uh does it also 
you know, kind of the same question my partner asked you about Cole. Does it bother you to see him succeeding or, you know, are you happy for him also? Like you're happy for Cole. Yeah, definitely happy for JMO. Um, he was a guy, <clears throat> I don't know how many people who aren't like diehard baseball fans realize everything he went through um, Two Tommy Johns, a hernia surgery, testicular cancer. And, and they came at the worst possible times as well. Like he would have, one of the greatest what ifs of recent pirate history was entering 2015. Everyone expected Tyone to debut that season and give you a rotation of Garrett Cole, AJ Burnett, Jameson Tyone, and Charlie Morton. And that team went on to win 98 games without Jameson Tyone because he got hurt in spring training, had Tommy John missed the entire season. And one of those great what ifs is what if he doesn't get hurt and he does join the rotation with Morton, Cole, and Burnett? Like that team may have got that extra win or two. They needed to win the division that year. And who knows what happens at that point. Um, and honestly, when he was traded, I was a little surprised they got as much of the return for him as they did because he missed all of 2020 with his second Tommy John surgery, um, a surgery that also cost him most of 2019 because he only made seven starts in 2019. and was off to a very strong start. Um, I don't remember the numbers exactly, but I know his ERA was like three and a half. Had a start against the Rangers where he just got shelled and no one it made no sense. And then you found it like two days later, he was hurt. And it's like, okay, well, that's why he got shelled. But, you know, I mentioned Rollins and Contreras earlier, and he got, he struggled against the Brewers on Friday night, but through his first, I think it was 10 starts, had like a two, three ERA. The kid was a consensus top 100 prospect coming the year. Looks like he's going to be the top of this rotation for a long time. Um, another player they got in the trade I like a lot was Kanan Smith and Jigba, who, again, in, in typical Pirate fashion, makes his major league debut this year, hits a double in his first at bat, Things are looking great. And like his third game got hurt at surgery, he has to miss the rest of the year. So hopefully a speedy recovery for him because he's a guy I know the Pirates are really high on and has put up some really good minor league numbers with Pittsburgh. And his couple games in the majors this year was looking good also. Um, and they also got Miguel Ura in the trade, who has never been healthy really since coming to Pittsburgh. Um, actually, his last, he started a game last week and pitched five scoreless. So hopefully he's finally starting to get healthy and can contribute to the Pirates as well. But that tie-on trade was one that I think could prove to be one of those that kind of works out for both teams. Cause obviously Tyone's doing some great things for the Yankees very well, may help them win a world series this year. But if you're the pirates, you would gladly sacrifice those last two years of Tyone's control for six, seven, maybe more years of Ronzi Contreras. If he does turn into this budding ace and it looks like he's going to, I think that's a very fair trade for everybody involved. When do you see the pirates pushing, you know, past the rebuilding stage? What year do you look at, as the year of like, all right, this is this is the year we turn it around. This is the year we start heading towards a positive record and you know heading towards a playoff run. I'm not going to say they're going to make the playoffs or anything like that, but I do think next year you can start to see a real big jump forward. Um, you know, I've mentioned some of the young guys who are already here. If everything goes according to plan next year, you will add Henry Davis as your catcher, who was number one pick in the draft last year. Uh, Mike Burrows, who is quickly becoming a consensus top 100 starting pitching prospect should join the rotation next year. I mentioned Lavera Paguero earlier should join this team in some fashion next year. Um, I think what's going to be key for them though, is they have a very talented farm system. I mean, fan graphs, baseball, America, we're going to go all have it amongst your top four to five farm systems, but the pitching depth isn't great with it. So I would like to see them spend a little bit of money this offseason on pitching. I think if they do that next year, you could see them take a big step forward especially if, indeed, like I said, you get Davis, you get Pacuero, you get a Burroughs up here. They're a team where 
you know, you look at their record, it's not great, but I also don't think they're quite as far away as a lot of people think either. They, they have some building blocks here. You've got some guys in the high minors who should join the, join the show next year. Um, I know off air, we talked about Nick Gonzalez, who was a first round pick in 2020, was really starting to put things together, double A before he got hurt. Could miss the rest of the season, but should be healthy for Arizona Fall League, which would be big. because could put him in position to still debut next year. So, yeah, I, I do think that next year they could take a big step forward in becoming a competitive team, a team that might be able to, you know, get up to around a 500 record, maybe over if the chips fall right. And by 2024, could be ready to compete for the postseason again. But the big X factor there, as any Pirate fan will tell you, is going to be whether or not they're willing to go out and spend the money they need to spend to get a starting pitcher or two to help and reinforces bullpen because the, the bullpen is just outside of David Bednar is just a complete disaster right now. So that that's something that needs completely revamped in the off season. One more from me, um, Marty, and then we'll, we'll call it a day. Do you want somebody like Miguel and Duhar on your team? And what would you be willing to give up for him? Do you think the pirates have, you know, any other prospects like Clay Holmes in the works that maybe we could get for him or something? What do you think? Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned Andujar because he's a guy who I feel like, according to Twitter and fans and speculation, has already been traded to the Pirates about six times in the last four years. Rather, it was Garrett Cole. Uh, you know, whenever news broke that Tyon was going to the Yankees, I feel like no matter who it was, like people have penciled him to Pittsburgh so much. And <clears throat> I mean, from everything I've always gathered on the guy, he seems like someone who like you said, just needs that opportunity. And I, I could see a fit with Pittsburgh. Um, you know, the pirates have Michael Chavis as their primary first baseman, but I'm sure Andrew Hart could play first. You could platoon him at DH with Daniel Vogelbach. Um, there, there would be a bats available when Ben Gamble gets moved. You could see something worked out there with Andrew Hart, but yeah, Andrew Hart is a, is a player I've always thought would fit with the pirates i always thought could there would be a bats available and i said it's funny because i feel like in the last three or four years according to twitter and things of that nature he's already been traded to the pirates about six times so <laughs> in uh other news marty I, I i really appreciate you coming on with us uh thank you so much for for taking the time uh I'll, i'll give you this time now i know we did this earlier but i'll give you your time now to promote yourself promote you know who you work for and what you're doing Yeah, absolutely. Again, thanks for having me on, guys. I always love the opportunity to talk baseball. Um, you can find us at rumbunter.com, part of the fan side of network. Um, we're on Twitter at, at rumbunter, same thing on Facebook. We have our rumbunter podcast that's on Apple Pod and everything of that nature. If you ever want to get caught up on the Pittsburgh Pirates or just baseball talk in general. So yeah, you know, check us out. Even if you're not a big pirate fan, you know, we we try to really cover the minor leagues and things like that pretty extensively too. So, yeah, if you're ever looking for learning anything about the Pirates, especially this week with the Yankees going to be in town, check us out. We'll have game recaps. We'll have stories from the games, you know, previewing the series, recapping the series, all that kind of stuff. So, and I, I will say, too, that I do appreciate Yankee fans because anytime we ever write anything on our site that involves the Yankees and even the slightest amount, the page views for it go through the roof. So, you know, Yan Yankee fans, for whatever reason, are always good to us whenever they do venture over to runbunter.com. So feel free to keep checking it out, guys. Yeah, Marty, for sure, man. We'll we'll be checking you out, man. Uh, uh, like my partner said, you you guys look like you do great work over there, and we'll definitely be checking you out, especially this coming week. Thanks again for hopping on with us, and that's going to be a wrap from episode 24 of the Hottest Skina podcast. Um, from from me, Enrique, and special guest Marty. 
Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Go Yanks.